You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Long before the introduction of priests and cardinals and even trustees, Scripture lays out for us uh, the institution of an office called deacon, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, Good evening and welcome to Grace Matters. My name is Neil Manning, and uh, we're going to use grace in our speech as we talk about uh, matters that are important and relevant to the church. And tonight we will be talking about deacons. Um, And I want to read first a passage from Acts 6, which many believe to be the first institution of deacons. Chapter 6, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Before I introduce our panel tonight, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your salvation, for your gathering of us here tonight. I pray that you would be honored in our speech. Let Jesus be made holy, made great in our sight. Lord, I pray that you would guide our conversation, that it would indeed be founded on your word, Christ exalting honoring to you and encouraging and edifying to each one of us who are hearing and and even participating. Lord, it's to your glory and in the name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen. So for our panel tonight, talking about deacons, we actually have two of our very own deacons, Ben McGuire and Stephen Eisenberg. So guys, welcome. Thank you for joining us. And I wonder, in order to introduce yourselves, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how it is you became, or why it is you became a deacon. Sure, I'll go first. Uh, My name is Ben McGuire, and my family and I have been attending Grace for about two and a half years, and I've been serving as a deacon for a little over a year. We moved to Raleigh about three years ago. We're on staff with an organization called Crew, and found Grace as part of our church hunting and... Part of the, I guess the, the simplest answer of why I became a deacon is someone asked. Uh, so that's the easy answer. Uh, the little more drawn out answer is when we came to Grace, one of the things that we regularly did, my wife and I, as we were, well, wherever we would have been, we would have done this as well. But we kept praying consistently that the Lord would make us a blessing where we are, that he would give us opportunities to serve. And uh, when this opportunity came up, I didn't view it as 
out of the blue necessarily. It was a little bit because I think it's a significant thing to be asked to serve and lead in this way in your church. But at the same time, I think we viewed it as an opportunity and an answer to prayer that we've been praying for a, over a year at that point. Um, I'm Steven Eisenberg. Uh, I've been a deacon at Grace for, I believe, eight, year, eight years now. Um, we started coming to Grace when Nathan was one and a half years old. He's 12 now, so I think 10 and a half years. Uh, and I've been a deacon for eight of those. Um, I became a deacon uh, when I was asked as well. Um, someone came and approached me and said, hey, you'd make a good deacon. And I was like, hmm, okay. I don't know what that means. Because I came from a church that we didn't have deacons and we didn't have elders, so I really didn't know what that meant. So I looked into it and started praying about it. And um, a lot of those things lined up with what I felt as though God was calling me to do and how I was supposed to serve our church family and our church body. And um, eight years later, here we are. Very good. It, it seems to always start with someone asking. That's a... Great testimony. So before we move more to um, practical things that deacons are doing now, I want to return to those scriptural passages beginning with Acts and take a look at the biblical foundation, the underpinning for why we have deacons and what a deacon is supposed to be. And then we can look at now that we have these deacons to meet that need, what are they doing? What are, what are you guys doing? So if we can return to uh, Acts 6, what do you see as uh, points to highlight from this passage? The, the word deacon actually does not appear in this passage, so what, what are we supposed to get from it? A deacon is just basically a, um, an office that was created later on in church history, but it was someone who was willing to serve and serve with a specific purpose and reason, the church body as a whole. Um, it allowed the the apostles to teach and to, to preach the word and allowing the, the people that they knew who would continue to preach and teach and minister the gospel to do the hands-on every day what was needed to facilitate that. Yeah, I would agree. I think even one of the things that strikes me in verse 1 is that the disciples were increasing in number. You know, the fact that the church was growing and there were specific needs that were becoming more and more prevalent and more and more recognized. And as the apostles are are leading in that, they know, I think, by the illumination of the Spirit, that they can't and probably shouldn't try to do everything. And it's easy, I think it's easy to look at even the second verse and say, you know, they're saying, oh, should we give up the preaching of the word to serve tables you could take that in, in a somewhat of a demeaning way or a, that the, the role that is then given to these seven men is somehow less than what the apostles are doing, the, doing the teaching and the preaching of the word and prayer. But I think they're seeing real needs that are present in the body, in the church, and they're entrusting those things to, to men who, it doesn't say, but have shown themselves worthy of that responsibility and faithful to, to do that responsibility. Yeah, uh, two points that stuck out to me, and they kind of feed into the, the next passage that Paul is 
writing to Timothy, describing what to look for when appointing deacons, um, the, the first is the way Luke describes Stephen as a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. The, the issue that brought about the congregation bringing to the apostles the need for, for these servants was a very practical one, but yet what's described here is not how many years Stephen served tables or what professional skills he brought to the table, but that he was full of faith in the Holy Spirit. And then we could easily miss the importance of deacons if we finished reading at the end of verse 6, um, and, and they prayed and laid their hands on them, on the, on the servants, on the seven. But I think seven is a necessary consequence to the apostles instituting these servants in the church. And the word continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. The, the numbers were already increasing, which produced this, this problem that the, the Hellenist uh, widows were, were having. But uh, it, it, I think it's a very direct consequence of instituting servants who are commissioned with, the, with these responsibilities that the word continues to increase. Would you agree that uh, that continues to be the pattern in the church today that um, as churches grow, uh, the need for practical servants um, has the effect of enabling the, the gospel ministry to, to grow? Well, yes. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're, uh, you're leading the witness uh, a little bit. But, um, but I think, yeah, you know, it allows, I think there's, a, there's a, a matter of calling, I think, that we're seeing here, that the apostles are seeing, you know, we've been set aside, not, well, yeah, I think it's fair to say, we've been set aside to, to teach, to preach, uh, and for prayer, serving in this, what becomes called the, the, the office of elder, or overseer, bishop. You know, for the, the deacons who are set aside to fulfill this calling, to meet a specific need in this case, as Stephen mentions when the, the Hellenists uh, are saying, hey, we're, we're feeling a little bit neglected here, you know, and so they set aside people to meet that need. I don't think it's just that one thing. I don't think this is necessarily a, an occasional calling. Maybe it is. Uh, you know, just from Acts, if we just looked at that, uh, but but I think it, it when people are freed up to to serve in a way that suits the way that they've been gifted by the Spirit, I think we should expect things to go well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, two of the giftings, and and we tend to use the word offices. Um, yeah, another leading question: How many offices are there? That scripture points out, it, it appears to be two, um, elder or, or bishop and, and deacon. So let's turn now to 1 Timothy in which Paul is um, writing to Timothy and he's giving him uh, instruction on how to appoint godly leadership within the, uh, the individual churches as they go around. So I'm going to begin uh, chapter 3 and verse 8 and following. Says deacons likewise, so likewise being um, connected to overseer, elder, pastor. Deacons likewise must must be men of dignity, not double-tongued or addicted to much wine or fond of sordid gain, but holding to the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. 
These men must also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons if they are beyond reproach. Women must likewise be dignified, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. For those who have served well as deacons uh, obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Again, the question put forth, what are some highlights, important points that we need to draw from, from this passage? I think nothing really disqualifies any of us as Christian believers of really what we're supposed to live to. The men or, or who are called to be deacons are just being held as an example and as saying, hey, no, like, we are sinners, we're I'm, I'm a sinner just like everybody else. There's nothing special about me. Um, but it's the fact that I'm now held accountable as a deacon to the church body saying I'm supposed to be setting an example for those around me to what it's like to live a Christian life. And when I fail, I'm like, well, there I go again, being a sinner. But thank God God's full of grace and that he is there to show me that, and I'm able to use my story in the ways that I've failed to minister to those around me, and especially here in the church body when those opportunities arise, I'm able to share with them and love on them the way that God has loved on me. So I hear you saying that the, the qualifications for, for deacon are goals that we should all strive for, but none of us re ever fully meet them. Yeah, I, I think that's a great observation is the fact that we should all be striving to achieve, any of us we should want to be dignified and not double-tongued and uh, addicted to much of anything, uh, greedy, you know, I mean, these are all character qualities that should be exhibited in the life of every believer, and I think, I think that's something, so in, in light of that, that that's something that, that stands out to me, and even preparing for this, doing a little bit of reading that multiple people commented on is that it's the character of the deacon that is emphasized most in Scripture and not as much what we do, mm. but it's who we are. And I think that should always be true of us as believers. You know, that's what God looks at. You know, he looks at our hearts. He, he's concerned about our character. Now, what right. we do flows out of that, but it's that inward heart that's really important. So the qualifications are more spiritual and, and character-oriented, but there are responsibilities that come along with the role. What are some differences or distinctions between an elder or pastor and a deacon? They're really only the one difference between an elder and a deacon is the ability to teach. Uh, deacons are not expected to teach the Word. They're expected to minister and to love and serve. Um, to where elders are supposed to be teaching and leading and providing that oversight and that uh, guidance to how the deacon should be acting and how which direction they should be helping shepherd the church and moving forward. So should deacons never teach or preach? When called, yes. Yeah, when uh, <laughs> like when leading a home group, I lead a home group, and um, but I would not be a what I would call a get up at the pulpit and preach you a sermon person. I'm more of a teach you from 
in a sitting position like tonight um, <laughs> or over a cup of coffee. Those are much better options for me. Um, so in fact, deacons may have not only the ability but a gifting for teaching, but it's just not a responsibility while executing that role. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah, and I think with that, so another distinction, I think with the, with the elder and the deacon is with that teaching expectation, that responsibility, uh, also comes responsibility of leading the church and the authority that comes with that for an elder and so for a deacon. I think the role, the office of, of deacon, though incredibly important, has a lot of responsibilities, a lot of expectations when it comes to your walk with the Lord, but it's not an authoritative office. Um, and so, Ben, you've been to seminary, actually. Um, you've studied the Greek, and correct my pronunciation and how I do it, but um, as I understand, the word translated oftentimes as deacon is diakonos, which literally means servant, correct? Um, so we could easily just write it out, uh, translate it as, as servant. Um, I've, I've heard the distinction between Elder and deacon put this way that elders serve by leading and deacons lead by serving. Does that kind of fit the role? Yeah. That, so deacons are, in fact, leaders in the church by setting an example for serving in all sorts of different ways. So what are, we'll get to some of the more practical elements in just a minute. So let me return to this passage here in 1 Timothy. Um, so the first seven verses of chapter 3 deals with qualifications of elders or overseers. And then we see this, this passage, these few verses about deacons. Um, you may have noticed that on the screen is the ESV translation, and what I read from was the NASB. So they, they differ very slightly in only a, a couple of places. And one of those places is in, in the first words of verse 11, where it says, Women in the NASB or the ESV and probably NIV and several other translations say their wives. So what can you tell us about this word that can be translated either or and how does it reflect on the role of deacons? You can take this one, Ben. <laughs> fine, that's fine. <laughs> uh, so it depends on how technical of an answer you want, but the word for women and the word for wife, woman and wife in the original language is the same word. Uh, one of the, I'm trying to think of how involved, how involved of an answer do you want? I guess that's a real, real question here. Um, the reality is that when, when you make it, when you translate from the original into uh, a language like English, translation always involves an element of interpretation because we've got to have it make sense to us, right? And context is always important. But one of the things that I think is kind of key here is that, so if women and wives, it's the same word, uh, you know, NAS is using women, ESV is using their wives, there's some interpretation going on there, right? One has been chosen over the other for a reason. Uh, the translators are... Trying, trying to make a point, and that's okay. We don't, it's, not, it's not a problem for us. It, doesn't, it shouldn't cause any great internal uh, convulsions. Uh, hopefully it doesn't, but I think the other key thing here is that 
the word women and wives is the same, but the, that possessive pronoun there is not present in the original. And so that's been added in to help make clear what's trying to be communicated. Okay, so now it depends on who you read as far as what does that mean. Um, a lot of people would say, a lot of people that I, I trust and respect, that I consider good friends, uh, well, one that I consider a good friend, you know, they would say that this seems to make it clear that a woman could serve in the role of deacon. Uh, now, we, at Grace, we don't, at this point, uh, I'm going to use my words really carefully here, because uh, I am not speaking, I mean, a disclaimer, parenthetical reference and a disclaimer here, I'm not speaking on behalf of the elders or anybody else. Uh, I'm speaking on behalf of myself, but I think they would say that this role of servant within the church doesn't necessarily need to be exclusively male. That the, even in the original language and other places in Scripture that we could, of course, talk about, that a deaconess is not out of bounds biblically. So again, I was very intentional earlier in saying that the role of elder holds a position of authority, and I think that's clear. They're called to teach, to preach. Uh, the role of deacon is a servant. There's not an authoritative role and so the importance of having women involved in the life of the church is invaluable. We have got to have women involved in leading and uh, shepherding and guiding and, and, and fulfilling their, their calling. And so, again, speaking for myself, I don't think having a deaconess is out of bounds biblically. Uh, and I think, yeah, I'll just, I'm going to just... Stop yeah. right there. <laughs> I will add uh, the elders' point of view that um, those previous verses in First Timothy 3 as well as Titus and a few other passages, we gather to understand that what Jesus was putting in place for his church through Paul's apostleship uh, was that for elders, those who teach, preach to the, to the congregation, is to be a, a male role. Um, and here at Grace for Deacons, and, and I looked this up actually in our Constitution. You can find our Constitution on the website, and it's in Article 4 as well as in Article 6, the qualifications both biblically and practically for, for deacons. And, and you're right, the, the translation requires interpretation. So how do we interpret? And it's, it's more ambiguous than we sometimes like to admit. Um, but we do have to take a, some position, and we have taken the position that it's better to be safe than sorry. And within the context of deacons likewise, being compared to elders, as well as um, deacons as servants also being, in some aspect, leaders within the church, that deacons are also to be males here at Grace. Now, I think with your explanation, we should be able to extend grace. I mean, this is grace matters. We, we have discussions with grace. This should allow us or enlighten us maybe to extend grace to those who, who may differ. So how big of a deal is it, uh, like, if you were to go to a church where they had female deaconesses, um, how big of a deal is it? Is it a deal breaker for fellowship um, where does it rate as far as a priority? Um, 
I, I think it was Brad who has used the open fist, close, open, I mean, open fist, uh, <laughs> open hand, closed fist situation. And I believe this is one of those open hand situations to where it is not something that goes against scripture in what is laid out. It's clearly there's female deaconesses in scripture. They're here. It's an interpretation. And so if there are female deaconesses at, which would be a female deacon, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> At another church, I don't think that's any cause for concern or for uh, to break fellowship with because I'm I'm in the, the same boat as Ben. I'm not going to let Ben stand out there on his own saying that he's the only one who thinks that. Um, but I think that the role is a servant, and it's a it's an office of a servant, and it's a a of where we are acting on behalf of the elders to serve the church body and to love the church body in the way a specific point and reason um, and I know most of the women in our church who are amazing servants and half the time I look at them and go I am less qualified than you are <laughs> so um, like I said I think it's one of those open hand situations to where it's not any cause for alarm I think I would also want to know so if that's the case if, if a church had a, a deaconess and a an office or a role, however you want to, you want to phrase that, mm-hmm. how else is the church structured and governed? Right. I think, are there elders in place? Because I, I agree. I think the, the role of elder biblically has been reserved and set aside for men to lead, to teach, uh, to preach the word and have that, that office and role of authority. So if that's in place and that's established biblically and the deacons are functioning how they should function, as servants, I think that's where, okay, we probably don't have any, any ground to, that we're going to have strong uh, differences over. I think we, we can and should, you know, feel like-minded in the same way. Now, if the church, on the other hand, like the church I grew up in, has no office of elder and the deacons essentially function as an elder board, mm. then I think that's where we would have to ask more questions. And figure out, ultimately, uh, well, I, I think, you know, Stephen even talking about, what, where are we, there, you know, kind of think of three levels of belief, you know, is, is this a gospel issue? Uh, I don't know if it's a gospel issue. Uh, would I go to a church and attend, this may be more information than you want to know, but that's, that's just how I am. Uh, would I go to a church and attend where it was like a deacon board that functioned like elders and had deaconesses as well? I don't think so. I think on that persuasion level, that second tier, I think that's really important um, because it might be outside the biblical mandate. Could we, are, are they, I'm not going to, but I'm not going to sit back and say, well, you're not believers because of that. Right. You, know, you know what I'm saying? And so I think we have to gauge everything by... Uh, uh, he's probably not the first one who said this. Dr. Dr. Moeller talks about we do theological, theological triage. We're trying to figure out, okay, what is the first, second, and third order issues that we're dealing with here? And so I think this is an important issue, but I don't think it condemns someone to hell if they differ from me. Right. Right. And yeah. I think it's re- really important. I don't say that lightly. I think it's a really important distinction to make. Yeah, I think you're right. I think... Um the way the church structured is important, not so much to to condemn anybody or, or 
really break complete fellowship, but uh, it should inform our decisions as to whether or not to um, be a part of that local congregation. So as we make this transition from the theology of deacon to the, the practical application of what deacons do, um, we saw that the, the primary focus is on the character, on uh, the, the faith and the filling of the spirit and the spiritual nature of, of these men that serve as deacons. But yet it was the, the waiting on tables, the, the ministering, the feeding of widows that brought about this, this office. So with those responsibilities being laid on deacons, should it be only deacons who swing every hammer and turn every screw? Not at all. Um, I am a firm believer that many hands make the load very light. And when we are tasked with our church body and caring for the church body, there are more people than we are able to get to. And the more people we have assisting and serving with us, the better off we can minister to the family. Um, like when uh, we built a, uh, a staircase inside the garage for Mr. Ron, we showed up one morning with six guys and we blew it out in the morning to where it was going to be me and one other guy and it would have taken mm -hmm. a whole lot longer. But six guys showed up and we were able to knock it out and not everyone was a deacon who showed up. But we were able to serve the gold trees in that way and we're able to say, hey, here's a physical need you need. We got you covered. And we were able to knock it out really quickly. Sorry, Ron and Mary. I saw you. <laughs> came out. Um, I still think it's a pretty staircase. So, um, But it's a, it was just, or when we do the, um, do the landscaping around the church, there is no way the 12 deacons that serve our church body are able to do all of that work and actually survive um, well and serve well um, because there's a lot that goes on. There's a lot of maintenance that happens that people don't see. Um, there's a lot of ministering that goes on that people don't see and hear about. And um, without the assistance and the support, we're, we're going to get burned out. We're humans. So, um, so this should not stop anyone who's not a deacon from volunteering and uh, availing themselves of, of the work that deacons have around the church to do. So do you uh, ever look outside of the congregation for particular projects or skills? Contracts? Do you, do you look at, um, say, oh, lawn mowing? Yeah. Yes. We, um, <laughs> I was like, look outside the church? <laughs> Um, yeah, we have maintenance contracts for landscaping because deacons are, we all have full-time jobs just as much as we do uh, in families. Uh, every one of us has a family at home, um, and there's only so many hours in the day. The church is a big piece of property. Uh, it takes time and effort to maintain it. Um, we have contracts out for um, mowing the grass, HVAC, fire systems, all things that have to be maintained and repaired. Um, when they go down and we don't have the capability of being able to facilitate those repairs efficiently. Um, Not able to do them yourself. So is it fair to say that deacons do operate as facilitators or administrators over projects? So you're not necessarily 
doing the work hands-on, but you make sure that it is done. Oh, yeah, we make sure that it's accomplished. And when we're, each deacon is assigned a task, um, and we are all responsible for those tasks to be accomplished. We're not all, so, like, building maintenance is done by, is led by Matt Damaris, but he is just one of three, four, three or four uh, deacons who are on that team, um, so it's, who are responsible for making sure that the keys get re the locks get rekeyed, or if something happens at the building, he's responsible for that. Uh, ben and myself and Jeremy and John are all on the benevolence team. We uh, work on the benevolence requests that we get inside the church and outside the church. Um, and then there's the sanctuary setup, uh, the ushering, and making sure that there's enough deacons to do offering and do the counting and things like that. There's a lot of behind-the-scenes things that happen every week that we are very thankful that there are many of us to make the load really light um, because I haven't had to think about church maintenance, which is awesome because Matt and his team have been doing a bang-up job. So as a deacon, being it's awesome. Division of labor is a good thing. Great thing. Good. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll just add a couple of things. You know, I, think, I mean, Stephen explained that incredibly well. You know, with it, so I guess if we even thinking back to what's in First Timothy, you know, the, the focus there is on character. So just like we would all say, like, yeah, every believer, you should aspire to these character traits. You know, uh, in the same way, we should all be aspiring to how can we live out the giftings that we've been given. So if you think internally, externally, you know, our hope as deacons. You know, we're all, so Stephen and I talk about this, we're, we're divided into different sub-teams, sub-ministry teams uh, on the deacon board. And within that, we're trying, to, we're trying to get guys to function out of, you know, what do you really enjoy doing? What are you gifted at doing? What, how, how can you serve the Lord the best with the way that he has made you? And not be ashamed of that and assume that, oh, I really wish I was better at fixing things in the church. I'm just not a good deacon because I can't do that. It's like, no. If you're on the security or the benevolence or sanctuary setup or coordinating the ushers, that's just as important as if you were on building and maintenance and had those types of skills. And I think we would want that for every member of the church to say, wow, where are the areas that the Lord has gifted me where I'm able to then serve in a way that falls in line with uh, who God has made me to be and enjoy that and thrive in that? And so we try to provide as many opportunities as we can uh, to get others involved in what we are doing. The work needs to be done. And, right. and, and we want to, I think how, well. how, you, how you said it before, is like lead by serving. I think part of that leading is incorporating as many people as possible in what we do as deacons for grace. Um, so when we think about uh, the, the different ministries, actually I want to go back to something we we touched on earlier that you don't need to be a deacon to do certain jobs I want to see if you have any encouragement for those who um, not everyone who's swinging a hammer or turning a screw needs to be a deacon you talked about deacons being facilitators and administrators is there a point where you can have too many chiefs uh, is there encouragement for those who simply work and aren't necessarily called to that position Yes. (laughs) 
I am trying not to put my foot in my mouth in any form or fashion tonight. Um, Moving right along. Okay. <laughs> um, I think that when we, when we embrace who God has created us to be and we realize what our strengths and weaknesses are, we're able to serve in a way that is freeing, that allows us to love those around us and not feel burdened by what we're doing. Um, one of the worst things that we can do, or in my opinion, of serving in the church body is serve to a point to where you're, you feel as though coming to church is a burden. Hmm. Um, I have personally gone through that of being that stop gap of like, oh, we need this, we need that, we need this over here. And you walk through the door and you're like, oh, man, I just want to go sit down, but something's broken. I got to go fix it. And, and it becomes difficult to worship and to come back and be rejuvenated and want to be a part of the family that you're here to serve and love. And yet, uh, when we have people who are able to stand in those gaps and take over those things to where we don't, may not need the oversight, hey, like the doorstop broke. Someone sees that and they just go fix it or put some tape over it until we're able to actually fix it. Like that's a huge blessing and a huge encouragement to those of us who are there doing it every day. It's like, oh, I don't have to do that today. Sweet. Thank you. Um, so I think those who are able to serve and serve behind the scenes and not have, um, I don't know where I'm going with this, so I'm going to stop talking. Well, it sounds like uh, uh, we need to find contentment where we are, where the Lord has placed us. So we're not pursuing a title or authority, um, for instance, but we're pursuing Christ in the gifts and the, the place that he's He's called us. Good. Well, you mentioned several areas of ministry, areas of service that deacons provide to the church. And, and yes, a lot of it is behind the scenes, but we, um, we participate, we are benefited by those actions behind the scenes. Uh, you mentioned benevolence. I want to revisit that and just tell us a little bit more about what that ministry is about, how does it work, and maybe if we had somebody who could use such service, how would we go about getting your attention? So, um, Benevolence Ministry is one of those ministries that I started working with that I was not um, sure of how I was going to serve on it. Um, for everyone who knows me, I'm not the most compassionate person in the world, um, by far. Um, I said I was a compassionate person to Michelle the other day, and she laughed in my face. Um, I was like, okay, maybe that's the wrong choice of words. But so... Um, but as I've been serving on the benevolence team, my heart has shifted and changed to where it's not like I'm having to understand everything or empathize or have the right answers to meet the whatever need is coming across, whether it's a financial need or a physical need. I don't have to be the stopgap. I don't have to be the guy who answers the question. I just have to be the one who's there listening. Mm. And it has been encouraging and a joy and a blessing um, to do that. Um, a few years ago, we established a policy. Um, actually, it was a lot more than a few years ago. Um, we established a policy of how we would handle outside requests and inside requests, setting up limits to what we would give on the outside uh, for requests from the outside. Um, 
and making sure that we had enough money to serve the fam church family if there was ever a need here. Um, because sometimes we get 50 requests a month from the outside and sometimes we get zero. Um, and it's, it all comes in waves and we don't not sure really why. We all have our theories, but they're just theories. Um, but we're actually, I'm, I am actually thinking and been working with trying to figure out how to revamp the benevolence ministry um, because it was a stopgap band-aid at the time to because we were having a ton of influx from everywhere. Duke Power was like, oh, call Grace Community Church. They'll pay your power bill. And it was like, no, we can't. Stop. Stop. Remove our name. And it became very overwhelming. And we weren't really serving. We were just paying power bills. That's not why the benevolence ministry exists. Um, and then uh, with inside the church family, we've also been able to just bless people who have had either unexpected physical health problems or uh, just lost a job or whatever it is. We were able to, to meet that need financially. Um, and so I'm looking to revamp it and I'm looking for a team. Um, I haven't fully established all of what it's going to look like uh, to really revamp the benevolence ministry and leading by example and trying to bring in others up with us is this is I think what I'm supposed to be doing at the time being of bringing on a team of people uh, men and women um, to uh, help revamp this policy to be able to serve effectively and not just be a band-aid because um, right now we're just a band-aid stop and I don't think our, our benevolence, for as much focus as we put on benevolence at Grace, I don't think it should be a Band-Aid. Mm. And it's been a Band-Aid long enough, and I think we are ready to move forward. What that looks like, I don't know. Come be a part of the team. We'll figure it out. Um, shameless plug, yes. Uh, so, um, but it's been, it's been awesome. So you're saying benevolence, the, the financial aspect not as an ends to itself of service, but a means to, to serve. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, just to add to that a little bit, uh, Stephen has given leadership to this area for a long time, and, and so he has a lot of experience, has gained a lot of experience, is gaining a lot of experience. But I think as we've talked, we would all agree that you know, just writing a check isn't necessarily our goal. You know, we try to have conversations with people when we can and when appropriate. They don't always want a conversation sometimes it's just a I just need to come by and pick this up or we mail it directly to the the vendor whoever that might be but trying to figure out like he's saying how do we how do we view this in a way that we don't just become a, a check writing ministry but that we're engaged in the lives of people because benevolence it can and should be it, it can be and should be we can give financial assistance to people but it doesn't have to be limited to that it's mm -hmm. There's a lot of non-financial needs that people have in our church, in our community, uh, that we as a team may not be fully equipped to handle uh, and may fall in, in other areas of care, but, but I think that there are some that we can engage with. And so trying to figure out how do we do that and, and do it better and in a way that really brings honor to Christ and is really helpful to people. So, Ben, what areas or what teams do you have your hands in? What's your role? So, okay, yeah, so my role. Uh, 
So my role has been uh, at this point in some ways kind of, uh, Stephen, help me out here. I guess in some ways like the administrator of the deacons to help uh, bring a little clarity, to help set up some of the different ministry teams, uh, to bring a little streamlining. It sounds a little sterile, I guess, a little bit, but maybe some focus in some areas and to help the guys figure out where do I really, like I said earlier, find joy in mm. serving? Where am I gifted? And to help ensure, I can't, I mean, none of us can do everything, but to help ensure that needs are getting met and things are, are getting done and these guys have what they need uh, and to in some ways be a spokesperson on their behalf uh, to the elders, to others in the church, uh, to, to help, I guess, bring some, some organization in that way. Very good. Uh, so the deacons as a whole here at Grace, what projects are they in the midst of now or have upcoming in the not-too-distant future? Um, so we've got the church rekeying, which is, I believe, starting tomorrow, where all of the keys that are disseminated throughout the land will no longer work. Um, staff, you should have new keys as soon as they're done, so don't worry. Um, the rest of us will get them when... So it is re-keying, not de-keying. Right? Re-keying, we yeah. We are, keys that work. We're just going to leave the doors open from now on. It's going <laughs> to save us a ton of money throughout the years, so no worries there. Um, there's that. Uh, there's the yearly, uh, or is it twice a year, uh, outside landscaping. I'm looking at one, once a year. Um, we do that. Um, we will be starting a lobby renovation. Um, Coming up August 12th was the start date. What can we expect to see with that? Um, a mess. Um, <laughs> but it's going to be an organized mess. Um, we're going to take out the library over here. We're going to make the sanctuary, um, not sanctuary, the lobby uh, bigger so that as the two services are passing in the wind, they are able to have a more open area to where it's not as a confined funnel that it is now. Uh, with children trying to get to the back and parents trying to get out with other children, and um, which will relocate the coffee area to this uh, right behind the sound booth outside uh, in the lobby. Um, it's going to add about 250 square feet to that space, which was a decent sized space. Uh, and then with the bringing on of Jeff, we'll be modifying the um, what was the welcome room will be now. Uh, Keisha and Sam's office, as well as a rearranging of the office space back there. Um, so that's coming up in the future. And I think that's... Yeah, and, and there's always the ongoing projects around. You know, we talk about building and maintenance. You know, every, every building has ongoing maintenance, uh, just like the home you live in. And, and so we want to give good upkeep to what the Lord has entrusted to us. You know, we... we give leadership to you. Stephen mentioned this, or you might have mentioned this on Sunday mornings as part of the worship service, the, the ushering, the offering, uh, the counting of, of any of the, the gifts and ties that come in, security, you know, during the service, give leadership to that. Anytime that this room needs to get reset, uh, we're giving leadership to that, making sure the baptismal is ready for baptisms throughout the year, making sure that the elements are ready for Lord's Supper when that's time. Uh, we, have, we have guys dedicated to all those different areas of serving and giving leadership, but then others who are part of those teams. 
So as you serve the body in, in these many ways, what are some ways that you want the body to, to help, to come on board and, and assist in, in a lot of these areas? I think ben said, it, ben said it very clearly earlier, is take a look at where God's gifted you to serve. Um, and if that falls in under the deacon umbrella, approach us. Let us know that, hey, I have this gifting, and I would love to serve our church family with it. Um, and let us know whether you can email us, you can call us, you can text us, or you can just tackle us in the lobby. That works too. Um, but just being really find what God's called you to do and, and using it to serve him and glorify him in that way. Um, that's why we were created. So if someone wanted to connect with you either with a benevolence request or, hey, Stephen, I've got a, a gift that I think the elders can utilize. I want to make myself available. How can they get a hold of you, say, by, by email? For a benevolence request, there's an online form that uh, also talks about the, you know, Stephen mentioned a couple of the different policies that we have. Guidelines, however you want to say that. Maybe policies just sounds harsh, but guidelines of how do we decide what and how much and, and how often we can, we can give. We've been, so back to the benevolence a little bit, the Lord has just been very kind. Every time we've had a need, we've had the funds to, to do what we can do. Uh, we don't fulfill every request. Uh, yeah, we have to, we, we take serious consideration over those. Uh, but when it's a member of the church, we, we do the best we can uh, to, to fulfill uh, what's, what's been asked. So online, there's a benevolence request form. When it comes to serving in one of the ministry teams, uh, we put out, I think through, I, don't, I think maybe the city originally, but then again through Faith Life, we've had a, a ministry team or a service team uh, request form that, uh, so yeah, David may be showing you how to get there right now. Um, they can be easily used to let us know, like, hey, I, I would love to help usher on Sunday mornings. Uh, I'd love to help. I'm, I'm a skilled, you know, in a trade, and I would love to help with the upkeep of the facilities, uh, I, you know, whatever it may be. We have, uh, yeah, right there it is. You can read that <laughs> clearly, I'm sure. Uh but at the very least, go to the website. That's, that's an easy way. Very good. Um, and I think David did allude to some questions. If you haven't already, if, if you want to log on to that Slido app and uh, submit a question, uh, did we have some you wanted to present, David? Yeah. Um, there's a few that are on here. Let me minimize this. But yeah, I do want to draw your attention to the way to easily do this online. And we'll be, you know, as we get into the fall, these things will come up more often during the course of worship uh, and other ways that we can communicate them so that we can uh, continue to get folks plugged into the ways that they might serve. Before we move on, I did want to ask Steve, are there any ways in which folks can help with the lobby stuff? Is there any capacity in which uh, unskilled labor would be useful or is this a stay out of your way situation? It currently is a, if you would like a book from the library, please take it home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> So if you would like to take a book, uh, please take one for a friend as well. Um, it's a two-book policy. Um, but right now it's a, a, a contractor-heavy project. Um, it's just to help expedite it. It is going to take 
longer than originally planned. It's going to take about four weeks for completion. Um, but to get it done right and done right the first time, it's all the contractors have asked for a little more time to accomplish said project. And um, hopefully September 8th, knocking on a lot of wood uh, for no problems, which in construction, as you all know, there are always no problems. Um, we should be completed and have the lobby back to normal. Uh, the lobby will be functioning. In the meantime, it'll just be a mess, covered in plastic, no tile, just concrete. So, um, so we do have a few questions that are here already submitted, and you can. There's still time to submit one on the bottom of this if you want to. We did kind of hit that first one uh, already, relatively well. But there's some related questions that dig into some of the more specifics here. So I didn't know if you guys want to touch on these. So in particular, uh, the translation of First Timothy. We talked a little bit about how translation becomes an interpretation issue when you're bringing Greek into English, adding you know pronouns as necessary to clarify if that's your interpretation, as it is clearly with ESV. So what do we do, though, if, if indeed this is for their wives, likewise must be this way? What thoughts do you have about why this would be significant, that Paul would refer to deacons' wives in this way? You both are married, so <laughs> this is a personal thing, too. Yeah, I think that um, just as much as I am held to a, a, a higher standard, Michelle is also hot, held to that standard, which she holds me to a very high standard. So she does a lot of work for both of us. Um, but she, she is needing to have those qualifications as well because if I'm not, it all goes back to managing my house well and managing my family. If I'm not leading and drawing and discipling my own family to lead the lives that I am supposed to be leading, then they're a direct result of my lack of leadership. Um, and so if I'm doing my job as a husband and a leader, then my wife should be following along. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, I would agree. I think, well, I think because it is a responsibility, you know, whether you're an elder or a deacon. And I think have, if you're married, having the support of your wife and understanding, because it is, it can be demanding on your time too. So I know that that is, I'll get to the, the other portion, um, but I think it's really important to be on the same page and to be like-minded. And um, it, it would be very difficult as a husband if I felt called and compelled to serve in the church in this way, but my wife was not supportive of that. That would be really hard, uh, to be honest. And so I'm very thankful that Jill is incredibly supportive of where God is allowing me to serve uh, at Grace. And so I think, you know, why is it, uh, what, what, what's, what's part one of two? So that top one says oh, two of part two. part one was just the translation of First Timothy from uh, the SV. Okay. So I think, so then why would be, there be qualifications for deacon's wives but not the elder's wives? That's, another, that's the next question. I'll get to that. Okay, well, I was um, going to tie it into that last question. Yeah, that but okay, it, it, it definitely is related. <laughs> so, you know, when I, when I glance at that, I think in terms of the function, like you were getting at, um, a deacon's wife serves potentially in the same capacity that a deacon might, alongside in, 
in, in a different way than an elder's wife would serve with an elder. Uh, I don't think that biblically we would expect an elder's wife to stand with an elder at the pulpit and proclaiming, a, proclaiming the scripture or in a teaching capacity. But for a deacon who is serving at tables, there would be absolutely no reason for his wife not to also serve at the tables with him. And so in that uh, kind of functional way, I think it's significant to see the deacon's wives and their character, because you would see them serving alongside their husbands in a different way than you would see elders' wives serving with their husbands, if that makes sense. So maybe depending on how public-facing the, yep. the role may be? That's, that's what strikes me about it. But yeah, so you did lead to this next uh, question here, um, which is definitely, uh, it's a can that we could open up with regard to interpretation, but you know, why would there be qualifications for the deacon's wives, but not for the elder's wives? And I've, I've hinted at my conclusions about that, but what do you guys think? Well, I think you, you hinted at it a little bit in what you just said. So, so I think the question becomes, is it their wives or is it women? So if, it, if, yep. if we're assuming it's their wives, I think... Uh, if there's some at least potential for joint service, I think, uh, I think if there's, you know, like-mindedness, I, I think that's really important. Um, if, though, it's women, and he's referring to deaconesses, Paul is giving basically the same qualifications that he would for a male deacon for a female deacon. So I think, why would there be qualifications for deacons' wives, but not elders' wives, it depends on how you interpret that yep. passage. That's and, my opinion on that. And but there I would are say good it, reasons behind. And there's good reasons, good reasons behind both. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, again, it's is one right and one wrong. I don't think so. That's that's a non-answer. But I think, <laughs> but I think, <laughs> if Stephen and I disagree on that, it's hard for me to say. Well, Stephen, you're just wrong if you think a female can be, be a deacon, because I think it's ambiguous. I think there's room, again, this, this is my, my understanding, is I think there's just room for belief and for interpretation on that. And if you're a black and white person like I am most often, that can be really hard uh, when, you're, <laughs> when, you, when these questions come up. Uh, these gray areas are not easy, but we live in that tension, right? And we, we extend grace within that tension because it's, not everything is as clear-cut as we hope it would be or that I would like to think that it is. Because to be honest, not just before, just preparing for tonight, I mean, there, there's a part of me that would have up until very recently said, well, yeah, it seems very clear-cut. It says their wives. Hard to argue with that, right? Until you start digging around a little more and reading and finding out that, oh, maybe it's not as clear-cut as I thought and as I would like, because when it's clear-cut, that's just really nice. And there's, you know, everybody gets a lot along really well when it's obvious that the sky is blue, but that's just not the case. What about the word likewise when they transition from elders to deacons? Does that not kind of connect well? Well, so using the word likewise to, to um, connect I think it's pastors. connecting deacons to elders. Deacons likewise, just like we've said about the elders, I think there's a connection there. 
But again, when you get to that verse, it's their wives likewise or women likewise. I think it's, yeah, it's about that character. What, what's the, quali- the character qualifications for someone to hold this office? Let's go to the, the numbers question. I think that's, uh, that's where the rubber meets the road. Is there a determined amount of deacons here at Grace? There's not. Um, we need more. Yes. <laughs> Lots more. Especially if we continue to grow the way that we're growing with this, like I said before, many hands make light work in the way, the more that we can serve. And I think all the deacons wish they could do more than what we're physically doing now, but we're just at capacity with what we can do. Um, so it's not, not that we want to do less, it's that we want to do more, but we can't do as much more with where we're at. And how many deacons are there currently? I believe there's 12. 14. 14. I was too short. Well, from my reckoning, if if Stephen and the others in the first century church served a church in Jerusalem of thousands, you guys are over. We're slackers, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't have to mow the grass. <laughs> no or grass. a building to upkeep. We can get rid of both of those, and we don't have to. Have, we can have twelve. No HVAC and plumbing. Nope, none of that. <laughs> no soundboard either. So constitutionally, with regard to you know, how often do we evaluate the deacon board to add deacons, uh, there is a kind of space in the Grace Constitution for an annual uh, you know, time of evaluating and adding deacons. Um, and then encouraging sabbaticals. Yeah, how, so Ben, you've been administering, as it were, for a little over a year. Um, and I know at least one or two deacons have taken sabbaticals over the last two years. Um, what are those conversations like? Uh, I know Steve has had to take a sabbatical before when he got, once he alluded to earlier, walking in and seeing all the broken things and letting, letting that kind of overwhelm him. But what are things that uh, we can do to help encourage that as well as, as a church body, uh, that kind of rest? Uh, well, I'll... Picking up the workload? <laughs> well, no, it's not so much that. But I think there's, there's some of a reality that we haven't had that discussion. And so all joking aside, you know, we, we laugh a little bit and we kid around. But the reality is, as this church is growing, and we are growing, and we're seeing potential for more growth, I think the honest truth is we need to have an ongoing evaluation of how are we doing? Are we able to realistically meet the needs the best we can, but meet the needs of our growing body. And how do we position ourselves to do that better? Rather, So with some foresight and some vision thinking, if we grow X percentage, you know, what would that mean? Should we position ourselves before growth to be ready for that growth with more servants dedicated servants, we're all servants, right? But dedicated servants on hand and available and helping to initiate that growth. I think that's something we need to do. Uh, as far as, you know, sabbaticals, uh, constitutionally, I'm, I'm not really sure. I don't, I don't recall like a mandated uh, sabbatical. The church where I, we were previously before moving, I served as a deacon there and we did a, we had a constant rotation, we had, is a larger church, we had 25 deacons on at all times. You served for three years, you had to take at least a year off, and then you could be 
re-admitted, re re-elected. I mean, you had to be voted on again mm. um, to to serve again as a deacon. But there was, it was known. I serve for three years. I take a year off. I can serve for three years. I take a year off. Now, that's just the way we had things set up. That, again, it's it's not a right or wrong. We're not talking, but it's, okay. What what would do best? So ha- so the question about sabbaticals. Have we we haven't really talked uh, specifically about that. To be honest, I want to save uh, Ricky's last question for last, and um, and pose one that was sent in previously prior to tonight. And if you want to do that, you can always email Grace Matters at graceccnc.org. And um, previously, you were talking about serving where there where you have a desire or a gifting. What if someone's desire or gifting lies in a completely different area, say the culture or politics? How, you know, to what extent should a Christian uh, engage with secular politics? Well, I, for one, participate by voting, and that's about it. Um, uh, we are we are first called to love the church and love our body and love our family here at Grace and then to love those. And our love for each other will be an example for those outside of here. Um, it is one for me that I really don't participate in, honestly. And it's one that, um, one, because I don't know it's never appealed to me to deal in the politics. And I'm talking about politics. I'm not talking about serving the outside community, but like politics itself. Uh, and um, it's one that has an effect and we are called to love, pray for our leaders. We're pray, called to, to serve our leaders when called to, to pay our taxes um, and uh, to praise God through it all. And so uh, it's one of those things where I check my boxes, I vote, I pray for my leaders, I pay my taxes done. Um, I'm very task oriented, so that's how I accomplish that, but it's just, it's a good question. One not always directed to deacons, maybe uh, maybe one that uh, we can think on for a long time uh, beyond tonight's panel. Um, so, final question posed by Ricky there for you. Um, how has well, he says, in what ways has the Lord shaped you and possibly impacted your family through your service as a deacon? Um, I'm always one who will uh, judge a book by its cover. Um, and especially with a benevolence request that you get, their form is so vanilla that it's just so plain and you you check those boxes, you can be very... And you read it and you look at the wording or you look at spelling and then you're like, I don't know. I don't know how I'm feeling about this. And then you get to talk to the person and you're like, oh man, that's not what Jesus would think. Man, I'm hmm. really messed up on this one. And how, um, like, knowing that there's more to the story, uh, not just being, well, you've had this kind of life, this kind of choices, these kind of things, and this should equal X versus, nope, we're all sinners. We are all broken and in need of a Savior. And how, whether we go to church or don't go to church or 
affiliated with the church or not affiliated with church, we are all broken and in need of a savior. Um, and it's changed how I view the people around me, the way I interact with them. Um, I'm still grumpy most of the time or uh, blunt, but it's more of like my go-to is then, well, here's my blunt reaction, but let me follow that up with grace because that's what I need all the time. That's what you need just as much. So that's how being a deacon has been like, all right, I can fix that, but there's a lot of situations I can't fix. And it's really changed my heart and how I try to maneuver through life. Yeah, I, I'll touch a little bit on how it's impacted my family. I think obviously with the responsi- with the role comes responsibilities. And there are times when you know, I just, we as deacons just have to be gone from home and we're doing things. Uh, and sometimes it's opportunities. If you've ever been out here on a work day, on a, when we do them in the spring, on, on a Saturday morning, you'll see a lot of the, the deacons, families, and kids out here serving with them. And I think, so for me, I think this could be true for anyone serving in the church, but this is the way, one of the ways that, that I've been serving in the church it's an opportunity when my kids ask, where are you going? What are you doing? And I can say, well, you know, I've got some things I need to do at the church, you know, at the church and to be able to explain what it is and why it's important. And, and my sons are seeing me engage this way, whether it's with the people here, whether it's with people in the community, whatever it may be. But I want my family, I want my kids especially to see me fulfilling this calling. Now, again, this is where I'm serving. Uh, for you you all, if you're serving in a different way, I just think having our family see that is really important. And I want my sons, not to exclude my daughter by any means, but I want my sons to see their father engaging with the people around them, around him, around me. Look, I'm talking to the third person. Uh, but to get a picture of that and that this is what we do as believers, we, we don't just sit back, but we, we take some serve. initiative, mm-hmm. we see a need, and we see if we can be a part of fulfilling that. And sometimes I'm, I can't be, but maybe I can help that person find the, someone who can. But I think for my family, you know, trying to, to guard that time together is really important, but I think just as important is while they're young, seeing that I saw this growing up in, in, in my family with my dad, you know, knowing that, oh, I've got, a, I've got a business meeting or I've got a deacon meeting or I've got this to do at the church. And it was a great example for me. But eventually, you know, as they get older, to participate and not just see me go away doing things, but to be alongside me doing those things, I think is really important for my kids to see that. So if you want to think more on uh, the biblical and practical aspects of deacons, we have a a few resources to recommend to you. If you uh, enjoy books, you want to dig a little deeper, um, we've got a few there for you. You should be familiar with uh, the Nine Marks Ministries. uh, And as well as if you have a shorter attention span, there's a few articles linked there. And we'll try to get this uh, PowerPoint uh, linked also to the... uh, to the audio when we put it up online. And Ben, I think you had a couple of other book recommendations as well. Yeah, so a couple of things that I read 
just getting ready for this uh, for tonight. One is uh, Andreas and Margaret Kostenberger. Andreas is a professor at Southeastern, and no, oh, he just moved. Uh, what a guy! Uh, but he he and his wife wrote a book called God's Design for Man and Woman, and so it's an excellent book. Anyway, but there is a a great section specifically on uh, when when they're addressing. Uh, they kind of follow through. They just go through the the Bible, New Testament or Old Testament, then New Testament, and then each uh, not every book in one, but the key areas where men and women specifically are mentioned. Anyway, there's a great section on deacons uh, in a couple of the chapters that I found really helpful. Another is uh, a little bit thicker, but again, only parts of it uh, that pertain to this is uh, a book by Tom Schreiner called Paul, Apostle of God's Glory in Christ, when he discusses Paul's teaching from 1 Timothy 3, uh, he is fairly extensive uh, for, those, for the length of those, those passages on the role of a deacon. And uh, so if you're, in partic- if you're particularly interested in the question of can or should or could a woman be a deacon, the- these two books are really helpful for me. Another that I didn't bring is it's even bigger than these two is called Historical Theology. It's by a friend of mine, Greg Allison, who traces the uh, key components of doctrine and theology, but how they were developed throughout the history of the church. And so when he talks about church government, uh, he talks he talks about uh, in a few places uh, how the the church was structured and governed you know, from the early church to the medieval church to the reformed church, modern church, those four eras, eras of church history. And so historical theology is the name of that book. And then with Benevolence, uh, a book, I don't know who it's by, but uh, When Helping Hurts. Hmm. They've got a full version when it talks about when helping and serving can actually lead to hurting versus serving. Um, and there's a fine line that we have to balance as believers of when we're just hurting versus actually helping. When our goal is to help and serve, we can cross over to actually hurt. Um, and then they have a smaller version uh, when helping uh, hurts in benevolence ministry and church uh, specifically. Um, so, And I would heartily back and affirm all those authors and, and books recommendations. Uh, gentlemen, thank you. Do you have any uh, closing thoughts, comments, encouragement to, to offer us? I'll just say we really would love to have you serve alongside of us. Uh, we, we, we want this to be normal, that people don't just delegate out to, relegate it, I guess is a better word, to the official church leadership, but are participating and we're able to delegate out into the hands of God's people the, the things that need to get done. Yep. I agree. And um, I want to close by saying something we, we don't say enough. I want to thank you both as two uh, representing the, our team of deacons for serving as deacons, not only in a general respect, but for the two of you specifically and for the other 12 uh, who specifically individually of their own time and effort um, serve this body very well. And we, we benefit immensely from from your service, so thank you. And um, 
I think to, to close us out this evening. Ben, would you like to uh, close us in prayer? Father, thank you for giving us your church and specifically for bringing us to grace. I pray that for each of us as we examine our hearts and our lives, as we seek out who we are in you and the ways that you are shaping and changing us to make us more like your son Jesus, that we would live out who you have made us to be, that we wouldn't be content with thinking things and reading things and believing things, but that we would act on those things, that we would put our faith to work uh, for your good and for your glory, for the good of your church, and that we would find ways to serve. Lord, help us in that. It's not easy. I struggle with selfishness. I struggle with desiring my own comfort more than I desire helping other people. And I know how how easy that is. Lord, I pray you would give us all hearts that would seek out the welfare of others, that would live humbly, and that would uh, do what we can uh, in the power of your Holy Spirit to bless those and serve those around us. We pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I hope to see you again next time in October when we visit the topic of um, orphans, fostering, and adoption. I'll see you then. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church, located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.